comics, movies, music, video games, technology, Blu-ray, television. This is the HHW LOD Podcast Network. The world we know is gone. No Netflix, no iPads, no Instagram, no podcasts. In a world ruled by the dead, we are finally forced to start living. Welcome to episode 79 of the Walking Dead TV podcast, where we'll be discussing episode 8 of season 3 of The Walking Dead, Made to Suffer. I'm Jordan from Jersey, a.k.a. Dr. Esquire, and I'm joined tonight by the whole crew, Brad Milo, Jim Dietz, Johnny M., and Russell Latham. How are you guys all doing tonight? Hey, fellas. Good. Awesome. Welcome to Woodbury. We'll keep an eye out for you. <laughs> Just one, though. Yes, yeah, so we've got a lot to talk about tonight, because it was a big big episode but before we do i think we have a little business to get to guys right yes uh we got some uh voicemails we're going to play three of them later because they uh, uh will uh fit nicely in, at the end of the show and then uh we got one that i'm going to play it came in last monday as we were recording about the previous episode so the what was the previous episode called gentlemen when the dead come knocking yes this episode is from max uh, about that episode Hey guys, this is Max from Connecticut. Just calling with some comments uh, about last night's episode of The Walking Dead. A um, couple pros and cons. Um, as a big comic book fan, uh, I'm just a little worried that it's going a little bit too fast with, you know, Maggie giving up the, their prison location. I'm a little concerned that it might just go one season, and I think they really should be stretching out the two. Um, besides that, I thought it was a pretty badass episode. I've never liked Glenn more than I do right now, um, including the comics. Uh, he's just a badass. I mean, headbutting people, once he takes off that hat, man, he's just a whole different dude. Um, besides that, I still think Andrea's a whore and, uh, kind of ignorant, and you can show such contrast between her and Michonne where one person is really equipped to deal with the uh, apocalypse and the other one is really lucky and pretty dependent on her and acts like a strong person but really is an ignorant uh, moron because she still can't even see what's going on with the governor. I mean, and I did not care about what was going on with the old man. I mean, I don't think Andrea even cared. It's like, okay, it's going to be a walker. All right, I don't know if I have anything else to say, but, oh, one last prediction. Um, I think it's going to come down to Daryl and Merle, and I know they're playing towards that, but I think it's going to be either, and most probably, that Daryl's going to kill Merle or Merle's going to kill Daryl. And if they really want to shock us, Merle's going to kill Daryl. Uh, I don't think Rick's even going to be involved. Probably what will you know, strike it all up is Merle trying to kill uh, Rick, and then Daryl's probably going to save Rick. That's my prediction, and I think uh, that's pretty likely. 
All right. Thanks for the time, guys. And uh, long-time listener, first-time caller. So uh, keep up the good work. And I'll never listen to that other podcast where the guys are crunching potato chips all the time. Man. All right. Later. I'm not sure what podcast he's talking about. He might actually be talking about Half Hour Wasted because we eat a lot on the microphone. But um, <laughs> Well, that would be his loss. But uh, of Walking Dead shows, I'm not sure because I listen yeah. to a lot of them and I don't know of a potato chip-oriented show, although that sounds delicious. Max, I would like to say that I am also a fan of uh, the Glen Fu that our favorite Asian laid down in this episode. Don't make him hatless. You won't like him when he's hatless. And please don't hold back on your feelings for Andrea. Tell us how you really feel. I kind of got some of that in this episode we're going to talk about tonight, too, so... Yeah. Yeah, there's some weird Andrea moments there. I had, um... I kind of had a, a thought on that, and then I watched... Don't hurt yourself, Russell. Yeah, I know. It, it's a rare occasion, but, you know, every every so often even a broken clock is right twice a day, right? Um, Are you eating right now? You're totally Are you eating, eating potato not. chips? You're totally eating while you're podcasting. <laughs> you have peanut butter in your mouth? What's going on? <laughs> I I was chewing on some peanuts. I apologize. Now you were eating. <laughs> All right. So. Now did you bring enough for the whole class? Has Max no. taught us nothing? Exactly. Well, you know, he started going on about eating, and I was like, man, you know, I work late. I didn't have dinner. I'm kind of hungry. So uh, anyway, anyway, losers. <laughs> I was watching the t- the Talking Dead, and Robert Kirkman said something related to Andrea that I think will be it kind of. I, I had this a similar thought, but when he reinforced it, it kind of put it in a new light for me. So uh, I'll be curious. I'll be when we get to there, we'll talk about it. All right. So without any further ado, what do you say we get right into the episode discussion, guys? Sounds Please. good. All righty. So we start the episode with a brand new set of characters that we've never seen before. That's uh, a group of five people, and we quickly learn that they are led by Tyrese, who's a character we've long been awaiting in the show. Uh, they're fighting their way through the woods. Tyrese has a hammer, and he is knocking in the skulls of zombies. As soon as I saw that long carpet hammer that he uses, I knew it was Tyrese, and I had that same kind of uh, happy feeling as I as I had when I first saw Michonne in the series. It was just like, yeah, finally, Tyrese, you know. Unfortunately, it was pretty hard to stay away from the casting news and uh, semi-spoilers. We didn't mention on the show, just in case other people were... We put it in the after-show sort of spoiler segment. Yeah. Oh, we did put it in the spoiler section? Maybe I missed that one. I, I think we did. Pretty sure. I edited it. I should know, but uh, I'm pretty it's sure okay. it happened. It's okay. It doesn't matter. Either way, it was sort of less of a shock that he showed up, but still a good thing. And it's interesting that the spoiler that was released, or the casting spoiler, said that he would be in Woodbury. So I was kind of happy that it was a misleading spoiler, because I did not expect to see him here at this point. There were some people on the Facebook that were really upset that they're wasting time on, I think she said, people I don't know. And then uh, some other people chimed in with, just give it a second. It'll click. You'll dig it. Yeah, I was really surprised they kept the wraps on that spoiler as long as they did. I I would, you know, we knew about the governor pretty early on. We knew about, well, Michonne, obviously, based on the ending of last episode. But I was really surprised that this didn't leak a lot sooner. Now, how, how is it they didn't notice that whole one side of the prison was, uh, like, exploded out like that? Who says well, they think, didn't notice it? I think they did. I, they made comments They're just before. They're on the other side, right? Well, they made they made comments before that you know there's areas that are not secure and they needed to stay in that part of the you know prison because it's it, it's closed off. So I, yeah, I, I think they've either not been around that that portion or they knew to to stay clear of it and and lock it up. 
Yeah, the nice thing about a prison is even if you have a complete wall missing like that, you just lock the next interior door and you're pretty much good to go, at least from walkers. I thought it was cool the way they introduced that. You know, When they first walk up to that structure, at least I, I had no idea that it was the prison until the big wide shot where the camera's panning up and back and away from them. Then you see the barbed wire in the tower, and I thought, oh, okay, I get it. This is awesome. When he, saw, when he said he saw a tower in the trees, I kind of thought, you know, that, that had to be the prison. Yeah, you're right. Well, so did I, room. but once they actually showed it, I was like, oh, no, it's something different. And then, like Brad said, they pulled back, and you're like, nope, that was it the whole time. Just a part of the prison that we haven't been uh, introduced to yet. Right. What do you think knocks a wall down like that? I was expecting to see, like, a crashed helicopter in the side or, like, not that we need to worry about that. It's just something that I thought about. Helicopters like, with missiles and, and uh, guns. Ah, oh, missiles. Yeah, whatever, I like that. Whatever they carry on helicopters. Mortar fire. Thank you. Gas jet. Grenade. Yeah, that's cool. I, I like to think of it as, like, before before we get to the actual events of the television show, like a full-scale war being waged. You know, like, we saw a little bit of that in the first season with the tank in the street and stuff like that. Well, yeah, yeah, good point. And the flashback with um, with uh, Lori and Shane watching the helicopters fly over and napalming Atlanta. Yeah. Maybe it'll be like BSG and they'll do a prequel series that nobody will watch. <laughs> mm. I actually did watch the first season of that, and uh, that's time I won't get back. Anyway, so before they get to the prison, uh, like I said, it's a group of five. we got Tyrese. We have Sasha, we have Ben, Donna, and Alan. And we get the impression, I think at least one of the familiar relationships is stated explicitly and one is just implied, but Donna is the mother of Ben, and it seems that Alan is Ben's father and her husband. I don't think that one said explicitly, but that's definitely the impression I got. Um, and that would that would match, uh, th- these characters are kind of from the comic, uh, those names will definitely be familiar as a familiar unit, but their appearance and the way they show up is definitely quite different. Yeah, I was going to say pretty much the same thing. They're they're from the comic in name only, as far as I'm concerned, because um, in the in the comic, Ben was what a five year old twin boy. He had a brother. It was uh, Ben and Billy. Yeah, so um, it's neat to um, to hear names, but it also would have been neat to, for them to have looked like the book. But I'm. Just happy with uh, getting new characters and, and new stories to learn. And at this point, we knew Oscar was dead because you can only have one black guy at a time. Right. You got to get rid of T Dog before you can get your Oscar. And then you got to get rid of your Oscar before you can have your Tyrese. So Ben, Donna, and Alan are one family unit. And then, according to several articles that we've read online, this was not said in the show, but uh, uh, not explicitly anyway, but. A Sasha is Tyrese's sister, uh, presumably younger. She looks younger than him. Uh, so we have a brother and sister, and we have a mother, father, and a son fighting together through the woods. Uh, very quickly and very early on in the episode, Donna is bitten by a zombie, uh, and the group uh, decides not to kill her straight away. Tyrese wants to give Alan and Ben time to say goodbye, so they bring her along with them. And that's when they, of course, they see that tower, and they walk in through the collapsed wall, and we pull out and see that they have entered the prison. Can I just say one thing? T-Dog who? Yeah. (laughs) I loved T-Dog, and Irony Singleton is a sweet man. I got to meet him in person at a con, had my picture made with him. But from the moment Tyrese was introduced throughout the whole episode, I completely forgot about T-Dog. Tyrese is an awesome character. He's probably said more. 
He was always one of my favorite characters in the book, and uh, I think I think they cast him really well in this. Um, I recognize the actor from The Wire. I don't know if you guys uh, watched that or not, but that was a great show and oh, yeah. a lot of a lot of great acting in it. Um, I really liked this opening, not only the way it set it up, not only because it introduced Tyrese, and I immediately realized it was him, but I also like how they brought it back to the show's basics, like people running from zombies, you know? I mean, we've had a lot of political stuff, a lot of, you know, great character stuff, uh, infighting and things like that, but, like, here's a group of people running from a group of walkers, and that's what the show is really all about, and I like how it brought it back to that, like, really basic, granular level. I would completely agree with that statement. It It felt claustrophobic again and edge of your seat type of scene is what that was for me so after that scene and after the opening credits we head over to woodbury where andrea picks up a picture from the governor's table Uh, it's a picture we've seen before it's him his wife and his daughter penny Uh, we cut from that over to the governor checking on penny Uh, she's locked up in a cage which i don't think we've seen the cage before but it's apparently right off of uh, the zombie fish tank room uh, this cage where she's kept inside and she's, you know, chained up and has the burlap sack over her head. And uh, he turns on the radio. He tries to talk to her. Um, but there's also a bowl of meat there. I guess he was going to feed her. And she's showing a lot more interest in the food than she is in him. And he uh, gets fed up with it. So he puts the hood back on her and he puts her back in the cage. Anybody else get a just, creepy vibe? I'm sorry, Jim. I keep stepping all over you. You go first, sir. That's all right. No, no, I just wanted to say I thought this scene was, like, oddly touching in a weird way. You know, like, it just really kind of... It made the governor sympathetic before it made him antithetic in the later part of the episode. I mean, it was kind of just oddly touching. He's just showing this this unconditional love for what is you know used to be his daughter and is now you know a zombie. We see that later, you know, when he confronts Michonne in the same room. But um, I just really, I really thought the scene was cool and uh, just very, very touching in a weird kind of way. There was some good conversation about that on. Uh... On Facebook, I think Jordan was involved as well with, you know, people not so much taking sides. It wasn't an argument, but there were definitely people that felt bad and thought it was touching and other people that were like, screw him. And they were glad that Michonne did what she ended up doing later on. Yeah, basically, my comment was had what happened between the governor and Maggie not happened last episode, I might have felt for the man some in that scene and the later scene with Penny. Um, but after what he did, no, no, thank you. That may be his daughter, but uh, quote unquote, I mean, she's a zombie, but Maggie's uh, somebody's daughter too. And what he did was just, you know, unforgivable. I agree. It's just that um, they're, they're just show- I think they're just showing the gradations. There's really not a black and white. You know what I mean? Uh, even the blackest person has you know, the, some redeemable quality to them in this in this show. It's funny, Jim, that you would get that out of the scene because I got. In, in fact, that's what I was going to say when I stepped on you. I. I got just the opposite. I got more creeped out from the governor than I had been since we were introduced to him. Uh, The fact that he would feel anything for this uh, zombie and and actually believe that there might be a chance that this zombie uh, daughter still contained some former inkling of herself in it was really damn scary to me. And it just put another layer of creepy craziness on top of the governor that I've already come to associate him with. He's got a hell of a contractor to build him a uh, fish tank uh, headroom and a zombie daughter hutch like that, you know? You don't see it in Ikea. Right, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> so then we cut over to Glenn and Maggie, who are uh, still in the room where Glenn killed the killed the zombie while strapped to a chair. Uh, they have now switched shirts, so uh, Maggie's wearing Glenn's shirt. 
And uh, as they're talking about what happened, uh, you know, Glenn asked, did anything, did he do anything to you? And she says, no, he just threatened um, and that she had forgotten, you know, with all the zombies and everything like that, she had forgotten how evil people can be. Uh, and at that point, Glenn gets up and he walks over to the zombie he killed last episode. He uh, flips it over, grabs its arm and uses uh, his leg to get some leverage. He rips the zombie's arm off. Then he cracks it in half and pulls out, uh, I believe, the ulna and radius from the lower arm of the zombie, and he gives it to Maggie so that she can use it as a weapon, which I thought was awesome. Glenn Fu in action. Hardcore, man. Yeah, that was, it was really cool seeing Glenn, I would say, come unhinged. I mean, at this point, he's, it's re- it's really interesting how his character has changed. I mean, he was kind of the, the gopher, you know, the guy they sent out after stuff, the guy they, you know, let go down the well, you know, the guy they were constantly giving the crappy jobs to. And now that he's got Maggie and he's in this situation and he fully is invested and believes in Rick's leadership and what they're doing and where they are, I mean, he's just, he, he when, you know, pushed to the wall, he's ready to push back. And I thought that was really cool that we finally got to, to see that. Um, you know, after after last episode, it was just incredible. It's kind of like that black and white thing that Jim was talking about a, a few minutes ago. Everybody's getting grayed a little bit. You know, we've seen yeah. Rick totally on. We've seen Rick totally on edge and going ballistic and and getting phantom phone calls. And now we're seeing Glenn sort of snap a little bit, and everybody's getting kind of uh, questionable. Which for me is is awesome because black versus white. Good versus evil is always a lot more boring than just, you know, some slightly darker gray versus some slightly lighter gray. You can have a lot more interesting discussions about that than just good versus evil. So they take the zombie bone weapons, uh, and we cut over to the governor, who's talking about the prison with Merle, and he says, you know, maybe we can get your brother Daryl to come to our side as an inside man, and we'll destroy the prison from the inside. And then they're going to let the walkers reclaim the prison because they can't just move everybody from Woodbury to the prison, even though it might be secure. The people of Woodbury aren't going to want to give up their amenities and their peaceful uh, facade of a town for actual security. I was glad that that he said that because I started thinking, and I've always wondered this when thinking about my reading experience with the comic. Why was the governor, why did he have such a hard on for taking over that prison, you know? Um, I don't remember if they gave any reasons for it in the comic. They probably did, but they elude me at the moment. But before he even said anything, I was like, why would anybody leave this paradise they have and go to a prison? But then he, security. You know, well, I don't know. It's pre- it's been pretty secure now. Nobody's like he said. Nobody's gonna want to leave their homes and go live in a cell. And I'm glad he said that. You know, he's basically just basically he. You know, cleaning out the prisons like digging a hole that he can dump the zombies into, so they'll stay there instead of his new town. And and I really liked that line of thought. I think in the you know where they were in Woodbury in the beginning versus where they are now is probably totally different. I'm sure in the beginning they may have looked at clearing out the prison or doing it before they maybe hardened themselves. They got organized before the walls came up and all that kind of stuff was going on. And now that all that's been introduced. They probably figured why even think about it until Rick's group came along and and it kind of made them think back. But I'm with you, Jordan. I like the uh, the thought process behind the governor where he said, Let, you know, let's clean it back out so they the the walkers can go back there and they'll leave us alone. So I, th- I thought that was a, a a good way to 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 deal with that um, issue. 
Merle also asks the governor, what are we going to do about Maggie and Glenn? And the governor says, well, you know, every minute they're here is another minute that Andrea might happen across them, so we need to get rid of them. And he tells them to take them to the quote-unquote screaming pits. Now, do we think this is the um, solar-powered, noise-making pit zombie catcher from a couple episodes back where they got the zombies for the arena? That's the way I took it. Yeah. Yeah, that was my best guess, too. I, I couldn't think of anything else we've seen so far that would that would make sense. So we then cut back over to uh, Rick's group with, uh, it's remember, it's Rick, Daryl, Oscar, and Michonne. And uh, they sneak into Woodbury and they head for the infirmary uh, where Michonne was first questioned. And Michonne suggests that they start looking at the governor's residence. Uh, but they say, you know, we think it's better just do a general search. Uh, at that point, one of the people from outside, who seems to be kind of like a normal towns guy, he's not like a, a guard or anything, sees movement through the windows and he investigates because uh, he thinks it's kids pulling a prank or just being where they're not supposed to be. And uh, the group captures him. They question him. And when they find out he doesn't know anything, they uh, they bind him, gag him, and knock him out. It's It was kind of weird for people that have read the comic and who know Michonne pretty well to hear them question her. Like, I had to bring my mind in that on the show, they really don't know her at all. She just showed up at the prison and brought them all this new information. So they were kind of saying, like, they were still thinking maybe she had set them up at this point. And, you know, we're screaming, like, no, you idiots. You know, she's trying to help you guys. But it's a different dynamic on the show. That's the one thing I've kind of struggled with as far as Michonne's character goes. And I wasn't on last week to kind of add my comment there. But it's this concept of her being coy and not giving them direct answers to questions and them being very... I mean, I guess in a way I can understand them being suspicious of her, but I don't get the whole, when we ask you a direct question, why you don't give a direct answer, especially since she was willing to grab the formula, know it was important, take it back to the prison. It just seems like they're playing that out. It's it's like the typical TV show trope of the audience knows, one of the character no, characters know, but the other characters don't know, and and just... Like, how long can they drag that out before everybody is clued in as to what's going on? And that is, I guess, if I have one real complaint with how they've dealt with Michonne, it's that. It's just they're dragging out the way that that they're bringing her character into the fold. And it it just seems like they're doing it to kind of string it along, that I can't really find a good story reason for her to be acting the way that she's acting. Well, I think we discussed it a little bit last week, and just in the terms of she doesn't trust them, she's not part of their group, but it is one of those those areas where it certainly would make things go a lot smoother if she'd just answer their questions. Yeah, that I mean, that's exactly what I'm what I'm getting at. We talked about the, the graying out of the black and white earlier, and I think that applies to this scene as well, where you know, this town's guy, just, you know, just random dude from the town, obviously knows nothing, he's not a threat to them, um, aside from you know raising the alarm, but they're very quick to you know tie him up and knock him out uh, pretty violently. You know it's an, it's another thing that you know this is not exactly good guy behavior, and I like that. I like that it's much more muddled, much more um, much more of something you can discuss in terms of what does that mean? What do we think of our heroes versus what do we think about our villains? So I appreciate that that line, and a lot of others we'll see throughout this episode. Back at the prison. Uh, Axel is talking to Beth, uh, asking her how old she is, and when she says 17, he's like, interesting. And so Carol quickly calls him over and says, you know, uh, you know, basically the conversation comes down to, I understand you've been in prison for a while, 
but uh, that's creepy. You need to stay away from her. And we get this great, great line where uh, Axel basically says, "Yeah, but there's not a, a lot of uh, there's not a lot of options around here. I mean, Maggie's obviously taken, and you're you're obviously a lesbian." To I love the look on Carol's face when she's when she hears that line, and then she basically tells him. Uh, just because I have short hair does not mean I'm a lesbian, and, and he also thinks that's very interesting. So Axel finds a lot of things very interesting well, about women. My favorite part of that whole conversation is after Axel says, when Carol says, I'm not a lesbian, and Axel says, interesting, like he had said to Beth, then Carol goes, no, it's not. Although later, they were both in the guard tower together, and we know what that means. Just to take a step back for a minute while Axel is talking to Beth, Check out um, Carl. Yeah. Oh yeah. He is like, like if looks could kill a man, they would he would have been you know exploded like scanners all over that room. I mean, he was just like shooting him daggers. It was so cool. Carl is a little possessive. I think Axel may be the one thing that this show has not had at all, which is a little bit of comic relief. I have a feeling that he's gonna have these sort of awkward situations with with some kind of frequency. Although, awkward is one thing, creepy and possibly predatory is another. Well, yeah, but you know what? They kind of blew that up. I, w- I was thinking that along those lines, while it was happening, think about if he doesn't have the conversation with Carol. Now you can go, oh, was he you know, just being nice, or is he being creepy, or is this going to lead to they have to keep their eye on him, etc. But I think when they go to the full-on comedy of Carol and the lesbian conversation and all that, I think it kind of blew the other stuff up. I, I'd, I'd be shocked if they go back to him possibly being a creep. I don't know if I've voiced it on the podcast yet um, since Axel has appeared, but I know beforehand I was, when we were talking about the prisoners and hopefully they're from the book and um, I was hoping that Axel would start saying, you follow me? And he said it, he has said it at least once or twice since he's been introduced and that, that made me very, very happy. Hi, Axel. I'm Chris Hansen from To Catch a Predator, Walking Dead edition. <laughs> well, let's be clear. The age of consent in Georgia is 16, so while creepy, it would be legal. We once had a long conversation about her possible age. And now so. we know for sure. It's been stated in the show. Right. How old's Carl? Uh, 13, I believe. Yeah, I think so. If it was the other way around, if Carl was 17 and she was 13, it might be a little more um, believable while maybe creepy i mean believable and also illegal in georgia yeah. a few more years it's going to be a lot more believable yeah yeah so we then cut back to woodbury where glenn and maggie have their walker bone weapons at the ready and that's when merle and another guy whose name we later find out is warren i don't know if we ever heard his name before that but they come in to take glenn and maggie to the screaming pits whatever that may actually be uh and they come out they they attack merle and warren maggie stabs warren right in the neck with one of the walker bones uh, Merle shoots at them, but they get the better of him. And uh, Maggie's about to, you know, attack Merle, or she's got Merle in her sights when uh, when Caesar comes up behind them with reinforcements, and they are recaptured. So they made a good effort, but no dice. This is where the tension in the episode really just started ramping up for me, and I, I don't think it stopped between now and the end of the episode. Things just started to get really, really highly. Uh, they started to get a lot more tense, uh, and 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 didn't stop. Yeah, there was a good use of space here where they cut from the gunfire uh, between Maggie and, and, and Merle. They cut over to Rick and the group who hear the gunfire, and that's when they, they head towards the, the sounds. 
Uh, they go past some, you know, some metal shacks, and this is when they get out those flashbang grenades and the smoke grenades that they had uh, taken from the prison, and they use that to overwhelm Merle's group. They rush in, they, gla- they grab Glenn and Maggie, and they run to a vacant house. And in there, in a very nice change of pace, the first thing that happens is that Glenn and Maggie tell everybody, hey, sorry, we had to talk, we told them about the prison, and Merle is in Woodbury. So all those cards finally on the table. I like the shootout stuff. It was totally change of pace. It was like, all of a sudden, it was like a 24 episode, you know, with the guys shooting the automatic weapons off at each other and the smoke grenades and stuff. It was a nice change of pace. I, I agree with Russell. Once this started, it was just nonstop till the end, and that was very, very nice. The other thing, too, is that the uh, Glenn not only says Merle is here in Woodbury, but he says Merle did this. This is what Merle did. Right, right, absolutely. And that he's like second in, contr- second in command to the governor. All of this yeah. being brand new information to Rick's group, except for Michonne. So Daryl, when he finds out that his brother is there, he wants to stay and try to find Merle. But Rick begs him to stay behind. They need to get Glenn and Maggie out. And uh, Daryl kind of reluctantly agrees, but he does agree. And while they're discussing this, uh, Michonne slips away. And uh, they wonder if she's betrayed them. One of the things that... I was a little concerned about I, I was very conflicted in my opinion about it is the use of the smoke grenades. I, I totally get it from a tactical perspective. If you're going into this kind of territory, that's what you would do to make sure you're not seen, to provide cover. But it also kind of had that odd side effect of uh, making, you know, it, it was kind of like a plot device for Andrea not to see them. So on the one hand, I was kind of rolling my eyes a little bit with like, oh, this is, you know, makes it so Andrea doesn't see what's really going on and that they're really fighting. But on the other hand, I was like, well, duh, that makes total sense. Like it, it's a better plot device than her getting mysteriously knocked unconscious or running the other way or, um, you know, something like that that we see in movies and TV shows. So I was, I was a little conflicted over, over that usage. And by the end of the episode, she at least knows to a certain extent that they were there, or at least Daryl is there. Right. So she might right. be able to put you know two and two together. It's not like it's going to keep her in the dark for another four episodes. So Merle runs back to the governor, and he tells him that Warren was killed by the outsiders. And the governor says, you know, we're going to respond. We're going to shoot to kill orders. We want them taken down. And he tells Andrea, you know, I want to keep you out of danger. And we know he wants to keep her ignorant of who they're actually fighting. And he tells her to go around knocking on doors to enforce the curfew. I'm having trouble trying to figure out where the governor is coming from with Andrea. Like, is he keeping his foot down on her and making sure she knows her place? Or does he care about her and he's trying to keep her safe? I think he mostly just doesn't want her to know that they're fighting her people. Because he wants to keep her there, whether it's just as a uh, a Mm. plaything or as a valued member of the community. I don't think it really matters. But he just doesn't want her finding out they're fighting her people and chance her leaving. I didn't, I didn't look at it that way. I think it's I that. that makes sense. I think it's both. I think it's that plus, you know, he's getting free dinner, if you know what I mean. So <laughs> why ruin it? But I think mostly he's he want he doesn't want her to find out. So again, they're they're still using the smoke grenades for cover, and they're starting to assault the Woodbury Wall. And Rick and the group are, are running. They're gunning down the sentries. Uh, fires coming from all over the town. Gunfire that is. And uh, Andrew's even shooting at them, but she can't see them because, like Russ said, there's the uh, the smoke grenades everywhere. And they're all covering each other with the you new know, gunfire. And then they're trying to get over the wall when Rick sees a person coming out of the smoke. And it was a very surprise cameo by John Bernthal as Shane. And Rick kind of 
stops right in his tracks, which gives the person he thinks is Shane just long enough to shoot Oscar, uh, R.I.P. Oscar. We hardly knew you. In fact, we knew nothing about you except your name and that you were in prison. And that you were helpful. Yeah, vaguely helpful, yes. And he had a heart of gold, apparently. <laughs> yes, we will find out next episode lots of great things about Oscar. Like the time he was those the old best. people at the Vatos, something like that. Yeah, exactly. He helped the other old inmates get around. That was a very, uh, Rick, shoot the blast doors, shoot the blast doors moment in, uh, for The Walking Dead for me. Star Wars. That's Anybody? a Star Wars, yeah. Star Wars Yeah, we got it. Yeah. Okay, got gotcha. phasers and Yeah, we, down. we're we familiar. To, I'm trying Is this to, thing on? I, <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to figure out why it felt that way to you. There must have been part of because that. Because everybody was, like, behind cover, and he's out in the open staring at this guy he was coming towards him and then ultimately shot. It just it just had that feel to me. So he finally shoots the guy after Oscar's dead, or at least shot and dying, and then he goes over to inspect the body and he sees that it's not Shane, it's just another guy who pa- who shared a passing resemblance to him, and uh, Maggie has to put Oscar down so he won't turn into a zombie, and Rick then flees over the gate calling for Daryl to follow. Alright, let's talk about Shane showing up here. Let me tell you this, this is only going to work if they continue to play with this notion of Rick hallucinating and, and losing his mind and still suffering. If this is a one-off, neat thing, oh, Bernthal's in town, let's get him on the show, it's not going to work. They need to continue this something's not quite right with Rick thing. And I think that's what they're going to do because from the Talking Dead, what they were saying was the reason Shane had a beard and a full head of hair again was because he's actually shooting a movie with Martin Scorsese right now and they, you know, specifically wrote this scene for him well in advance, hoping he could come in. So it wasn't just like a one-off thing, or at least that's not the impression I got. It was something they were planning for a while, and uh, they just had to, you know, go with what they had with the facial hair and the, and the hair and everything. So I hope you're right. I hope we do see this again. Not necessarily Shane, but Ghosts from the Past. It was a great surprise in the scene to see that uh, cameo by John Barenthal. I certainly didn't expect that. And I do hope they keep uh, peppering them in there just randomly, though. I think if they did it all the time, it, it might get kind of tiresome. But, like, randomly, you know, a little bit at a time, I mean, uh, you know, they could do the same thing with Sarah Wayne Callie or any of the other people that have, you know, passed on. He saw him in person and still as an antagonist, still as someone coming to kill him. I think it's a cool way to keep the audience informed that Rick isn't quite all there and he's still having these hallucinations without, you know, um, you know, beating over the head with it or letting the other characters know, you know what I mean? Just having them pop up randomly like this every once in a while, I think, will be, you know, really, really cool, you know. And again, it's drawing more lines of comparison between him and the governor. They're both not all there, even to this point. And the governor's going even more off the deep end, and Rick, who we thought had stabilized, maybe not as much. So back at the prison... Uh, Carl, Beth, and Herschel are in their, their cell block. And like I said earlier, uh, Carol and Axel are in the guard tower, and we know what that means. And so they hear screaming, and because Carl's the only really able, able-bodied one who knows how to handle a weapon there, uh, he gets up and he's going to go investigate. Herschel tries to stop him, and he basically says, this is what my dad would do, this is what I need to do. And so he goes into the prison, he's got his flashlight, he's got his gun and his silencer, and he's uh, walking through the zombie corpses until he fi- he goes past the boiler room where he had to shoot his mother. And then, I don't think it was in the boiler room, but it was like a little bit further down the hall, but somewhere in that area. Uh, he turns a corner and he finds Tyrese's group fighting a whole bunch of zombies. And uh, Carl jumps in, he shoots a couple of them, and then he leads the group 
out of that area and into the section of the cell block uh, that's kind of adjacent to the main Rick Group cell block, the part where they had locked up uh, Michonne earlier. Uh, at this point, Donna is dead, and so Carl offers to shoot her so she won't turn. But Tyree says uh, while he appreciates it, they take care of their own, and he's going to you know, kill her with the, or keep her from reanimating with his hammer. Carl turns around, he walks out into the main section of the cell block, and he locks the door behind him. At this point, Sasha goes, well, you can't just do this to us, you know, you can't lock us in here, that's terrible. But Tyrese is quick to step up and, and you know, understand what's happening, and he thanks Carl, which I thought was pretty awesome. This is probably my favorite episode of Carl. Um, he was just, he was just a little badass in this episode. Just some really fine acting on Chandler's part, but... You know, Carl was just stepping it up as as the man because his dad was gone, and uh, the way he stood up to to Herschel was nice. It just, you know, he just wasn't afraid, and, and, and I don't know, it just really worked for me this time. It was really good. The uh, when he fired the gun, I mean, yes, he's stepping up and kind of acting like the man, but when he he fired that gun, he you could still see it's like uncomfortable for him that it's it's a little too much for a kid to handle because he he kind of was like off you know off kilter a little bit like he was leaning back he wasn't like after he would kind of shoot he you could just tell he wasn't it wasn't completely natural to him yet even though he's trying to to step up and and take care of it because he knows it needs to be done there's no other men around he has to do it the only criticism i have with this scene was the the scene with him and herschel it was a little it seemed a little rushed to me. It's like, no, you can't go. Yeah, but my dad would. Oh, okay, go ahead. Uh, and a minor nitpick, because, I mean, what are they going to do? Sit there and hash it out for five minutes? I mean, that, that doesn't make sense either. So. If it was season two, they would have hashed it out for an entire episode, but not this season. It's kind of damned if you do and damned if you don't, because no matter no matter what you do in that situation, somebody's going to be upset about, well, it took too long. Well, it was too short. So, you know. If it was season two, Carl would be in bed. <laughs> well, he was supposed to be in bed, but he wouldn't actually be in bed. Jordan, you shared something with us earlier about like a review that you read, and it was the author's interpretation of that conversation between Carl and Herschel. Oh, yes. Let me let me bring that up. Yeah, please read that because it makes me laugh. While uh, Jordan looks for that, I would like to say that Sasha is already my favorite female character on the show. <laughs> she seemed pretty cool. She acted like rationally and how, you know, anybody – normal would react it didn't come off whiny it was very good yeah she was capable without being like you know michonne kind of borderline psychotic i get what you mean so this this uh this part from the review that brad's talking about this is by rob bricken former uh executive editor of toplessrobot.com currently a writer on io9.com who's very funny very sarcastic lots of geek stuff and he's been reviewing the walking dead this season and uh I'll read this word for word. It says, This is how I remember the conversation between Carl and Herschel going. Correct me if I'm wrong. A woman screams. Carl. I'm going to help her. Herschel blocks him with his crutch. Herschel. You can't. Carl. Okay, I guess we'll send your 17-year-old daughter, the pedophile macking on your 17-year-old daughter, the middle-aged woman who isn't here, or one-legged Santa Claus. Herschel lowers crutch. Carl. You're one-legged Santa Claus, by the way. Herschel. Just go. (laughs) Jim, uh, weren't you in a college band called One-Legged Santa Claus? Yeah, we were a uh, Black Flag cover band. Yeah, I thought so. Good stuff. But yeah, that was a that was a good scene in general between Tyrese and Sasha and Carl. I mean, they didn't necessarily all agree on everything, but Tyrese was a good middleman between Sasha and and Carl. And 
like you guys are saying, they at least behaved rationally. They talked it out, and the things they couldn't talk out, they took in stride. And uh, already Tyrese is pretty awesome. Sasha's pretty awesome. Uh, ben and Alan, we don't know a whole lot about, and Donna's dead, so we don't have to worry about her character development. Did we actually get to see or hear Tyrese do the deed? Because I think he was about to, and that's when Carl shut and shut and locked the door, and he turned around and. Yeah, I don't think we did. I mean, I, I think he was certainly willing to. Sure. So unless she, unless she reanimates and all four people in the room and the other people on the other side of the door don't notice, I don't think we have to worry about, you know, some farce where she gets up and kills everybody at the last minute. I hope not, anyway. So back at Woodbury, we catch up with Michonne, and she's now inside the governor's mansion, and she's setting up in a chair in front of the governor's door, so when he comes in, she can kill him right then and there. She's, you know, walked out how many paces it is from the door to the chair, she's ready to go. And that's when she hears a noise, a scratching noise. So she walks into the other room, and she finds this uh, this cage door and this wall full of uh, zombie heads, in a uh, in in aquariums, including her own pet walkers and the helicopter pilot, who I believe she did see at least in passing uh, at the helicopter crash, and so she opens the cage door and she finds a chained up little girl in a you know kind of Sunday dress get up and a bag over her head. And I thought this was actually a really good scene for Michonne. You can see she immediately kind of switches into a mode we haven't seen before—a very motherly tone. And you know, come here, I'll, I'll help you. Uh, what happened here? She's very, very distraught by what she thinks is happening. Uh, she lifts up the hood and finds out that it is not what she thought. In fact, it's worse, or at least a very different kind of bad, and it's a zombie girl who's chained up in there. And at, at that point, uh, she hears a noise, she turns around, and it's the governor with his gun, and he is uh, very upset at what's happening. I had a lot of problems with that, with that scene. Um, Which part? The part with Michonne, uh, you know trying to comfort the girl coming out of there she's very suspicious of everything and everybody and for her to kind of buy the fact that whatever was locked up in there and chained up with a bag over its head wasn't either a zombie or wasn't something dangerous just i I don't know it just seemed off character for her to not be not her hackles to kind of go up at seeing that and be you know more embracing of of the daughter than than she was i just i that that didn't ring quite true for me i liked it just for those reasons it finally showed that michonne is not just a one-note character that there is more to her and it makes me want to see more of that side of her emotions make you do stupid things and she obviously wasn't thinking straight you know she knows the governor's a bad guy this little thing walked out of a cage for crying out loud, but the human being in her that apparently cares for other people, you know, it got the best of her judgment. And, but anyway, this, and that's why she wasn't careful enough, which does go against the character that we've seen. But to me, that just played to the fact that, Oh, she is a more well-rounded character and we just haven't seen that side of her yet. So, like I said, the governor's there, he's got his gun drawn. And as soon as he sees what's going on, he immediately starts begging for his daughter's life. Uh, he puts his gun into his holster. He removes his holster and, and uh, puts it on the ground and either kicks it away or walks away from it. And again, he's just you know begging, don't hurt my little girl. And we have a few seconds of tension before we get a shot of uh, a shot of the katana coming out of Penny's face. Uh, it was a pretty bloody scene. And at that point, the governor lose it, loses it. He attacks Michonne. They have... I think this, I think this fight actually... Tops for me 
the fight between Rick and Shane and 18 Miles Out. I mean, throwing a motorcycle at somebody is one thing, but you know, putting their head through a zombie aquarium and bashing him against the wall, this is a knockdown, drag-out fight. Uh, it's all over the room. And eventually, you know, through a series of machinations, Michonne grabs a piece of the broken glass from the aquarium and she stabs the governor right in his eye. It's a brutal fight, and I love I love the shot where uh, the governor has Michonne's head in the broken tank. It's lit from the inside of the tank, and there are zombie heads in there. And, you know, you see Michonne, like, being shoved through that glass. And then the, uh, there's another scene where, you know, Michonne is knocked to the ground, and one of the heads is snapping at her. Um, while, the, while they're fighting, one of the heads that's fallen out of the fish tank is still alive, and, and you know, and trying to bite her. Um, really, really great fight choreography in that small, especially in such a small room. It's hard to film that and have it not be, you know, cluttered or whatever. But I thought I thought it was really well done. In the three years that this show's been on the air, I don't think I've ever gotten really squeamish at anything, any episode until the, until she shoves the glass in his eye. And at that point, I started getting really squeamish and saying bad words out loud because I couldn't believe what she was doing it really wigged me out having said that though he did seem to it didn't seem to bug him that much he recovered pretty quickly from from it i think oh he was all about his daughter he didn't care about his own well-being at that point yeah uh but as soon as she stabs him in the eye she gets up she grabs her sword she's about to kill him when andrea shows up uh she's got her gun drawn uh, michonne has her sword pointed right at her and I can't even imagine what Andrea must have been thinking because she, you know, walks in. There's a, a dead girl. There's, you know, the guy she's been sleeping with with a piece of glass in his eye. There's the woman who abandoned her there with a sword drawn. It's all very confusing. Uh, they circle around each other, and then Michonne eventually lowers her sword, and she walks out, and Andrea lets her leave. And that's when the governor cradles uh, Penny in his arms, and he's just crying over her. Well, here's like a double betrayal for the governor. I mean, first. He's ob- he realizes he's been betrayed by Merle because Merle said that he killed Michonne. And here's Michonne, you know, killing his daughter and attacking him in his, you know, private sanctuary. And here is Andrea betraying him as well by letting Michonne walk away and live after, you know, what, what she'd done to the governor. I mean, I mean, doubly so betrayed here, I think, on him. And I love the, the, the fight scene, like you said, very brutal, very close quarters. I, I, I thought it was very, very well done. But that bit at the end where she swings that sword around, I thought, I really, really thought for about half a second that she was either going to lop one of his legs off or an arm or, 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 or an ear or, or something. And, and the way they shot that where she kind of whips around just as Andrea comes in and holds the gun up, I, just, I thought that was just a very well executed um, you know, piece of editing and, and filming there to, to, for it to play out the way it did. And then the standoff between the two of them, I just, it was very well done. The only problem I had with this scene was just I I have a hard time believing Andrea is as stupid as she is being portrayed. Well, it, it's funny. I kind of thought that way kind of a little bit, too. But, you know, she really wants to believe that this place is what it is. And, and again, it, it kind of gets back to what I was mentioning earlier. I was watching The Talking Dead. And Robert Kirkman pretty much said that that's how they wrote this, is that Andrea wants to believe so much that this place of Woodbury exists and that there's a place where they could be where they're not constantly having to fight walkers and they're not constantly on the run and living in garages or basements and scrounging for food and, you know, 
having being around people there where they can have normal conversation uh, that you know things like this may seem odd out of place concerning but overall her desire to have this normalcy is kind of clouding her judgment and I, I that kind of got back to the way I was the, the kind of the way I felt because I, I again I've been very on the fence with this character as well because it's like how can she be so blind to what's going on and you know that was one of the things I thought of, and then when hearing Kirkman kind of reinforce that, it just it it kind of eased my mind a little bit as to as to how I was feeling about her character and the way she's acting. And afterwards, she's like, "Hey, what was that all about with the zombie fish tanks and the girl chained up?" What was his answer like? Oh, I have to keep in. Go ahead. I was going to say what what you're probably about to say. He just kind of plays it off. It's like, well, it kind of, you know, it nerves me to uh, all the brutality I have to deal with on a day-to-day basis. But I'm like, come on, really? Yeah. As soon as she said that, I felt, oh, okay, she's finally asking the right questions. But then he gives her that BS answer, and she just accepts it. Then I went right back to, uh, whatever, Andrew, you're dumb. Well, I think I think given the ending to this episode and the look on her face when she saw Daryl show up, I mean, I, I realize I'm skipping ahead, but we're kind of talking about this point. The, the look that she sees on, the look we see on her face as, you know, she sees the two of them, I think she's back in the camp of, okay, there's something really bad, there is something really bad going on, and somebody's lying to me, and, you know, this guy probably is a freak. So I'm curious to see how that is going to play out, uh, you know, in the, in, the, in the latter half. I think if it plays out as she's still in his camp and willing to believe him, then I think I'm going to have trouble with that, even even given what I just said, but um, it, it'll be interesting. And before this moment of her walking into the room, she hasn't seen anything about Woodbury that should really give her pause. She didn't see the zombie heads before this. She didn't see uh, Penny before this. All she had was Michonne making very vague allegations of, I've got a bad feeling about this. And the zombie heads, yeah, his answer about that was kind of weird, but it's all hitting her at once. The daughter, I don't think she actually saw the daughter chained up. I think Michonne had unhooked her. So she walks in just to the aftermath, not really knowing what's going on. There's broken glass everywhere. And he's obviously, you know, very, um, he's very much in mourning over the, the second death of his daughter. And she's gone through that as well with, with, uh, with Amy. And while they might not have taken it the exact same way, I think she can at least understand where he's coming from. So I think that end scene, which we'll get to in a bit, really was the tipping point for her where she goes from I don't necessarily agree with this all this weirdness that all of a sudden is jumping out and slapping me in the face to okay Michonne may have very well been right there's something very very wrong here this is messed up hey the the heads are just an extension of Daryl's ear necklace you know he yeah. just took it a step further That's yeah I mean everybody went when Daryl did that we went that was kind of gross but cool when the governor did it we went he's a crazy evil bastard you know uh, I, I think there's some leeway there and they don't have any satellite TV or, you know, pay-per-view or anything like that. you got to keep that in mind. So we then fast-forward just a little bit where the governor is getting some medical treatment from the doctor that we saw earlier in the season, uh, but he eventually just refuses any further treatment. He sends her away. He gets a, a kind of gauze eye patch put over his destroyed eye. Don't forget the lollipop. <laughs> and, did he get a lollipop? Did he? I don't, I'm just being so Okay, I was going to say, I don't remember that at all. It would have been funny, though, if she had given him, like, a little dum-dum. <laughs> I think he's already a little dum-dum. hey That's true. This is true. I think he gave her a little dum-dum. Yeah. Bouch. Maybe pick a sticker wow, wow. out of the box, you know. 
So after the governor sends the doctor away, Andrea questions him about Michonne, the, uh, the aquarium tanks like we talked about in Penny. Um, and she, she like, like we've said, she wants to believe the town is a good place, but she, she's struggling to accept his answers. Uh, and Merle comes in, and he reports that the outsiders got away, and he says, I'll pursue the first light. But the governor takes a look at Merle, and, and like we already pointed out, realizes that Merle you know, completely lied to his face about killing Michonne. And then we cut over to Michonne herself where she catches up with Rick and the group who are escaping. Uh, but it's just Rick, Glenn, and Maggie. They have not been reunited with Daryl yet. And Rick questions her, you know, did you betray us? He takes away her sword, etc. And she pleads with him, you know, I can be useful to you. Essentially, please take me with you. After what I just went through and after what I've just seen, you may be the only people in the world who can uh, who can accept me. And that's where we leave Michonne. John, did you buy that? Did you buy that part? Um... I guess I, I don't I don't want to beat on uh, the actress too much. I, I don't buy Michonne in general. I mean, she looks the part really well, but I don't know something about her delivery is not it doesn't speak to me. But uh, I mean, she's sort of I, I get that it's the trauma of what she's just seen because up until this point, she'd rather be alone, right? So then this is what brings her to realize that she's going to need some help in this crazy world. So I, I got it enough. Do you think maybe that she's going through the Rick phase of, of like late season one to mid season two that we have a certain expectation of her character and how it's going to be and that it's just taken them a little longer to get where we would expect her to her, her to, to arrive to? Either that or they haven't decided where she's going to arrive to yet. You know, they seem to be flip-flopping right now between, like, Ninja and, you know, now a little bit vulnerable. Um, you know, does she want to be in the group or does she not want to be in the group? But like I said, it, this could be the turning point that she's seen all this with the governor and she realizes now that she needs to be a part of something because it's just too crazy. I, I could buy that. I think also the story, and this is a point John made, I think, a couple episodes ago, is really compressed compared to the comic book. I mean, all the stuff we're seeing in the show right now took a long time to spin out in the comic book. I mean, Michonne's character was, you know, developed over a much longer period of time than we've had her, you know, in the in the TV series. So I think that this is almost like a shortcut to get her into the good graces of the group rather than her earning her way, kind of, you know, proving herself the way she did in the book with a longer, you know, time frame of, of telling the story. Well, it's interesting that you say that because we've made a point to point out a few times in episodes past where the episode title was taken from a volume of the book, and I think we had volumes one and two and maybe three showed up at one point, I can't remember, but Made to Suffer, which is the name of this episode, is the name of volume eight of the book. That's where we're up to, volume eight of the book. So they have, I don't want to say blown through, like they've blown, you know, just wasted the story or something, but they've gone through full tilt at top speed and really made the most out of a large section of the comic book material, which for me has worked really well. This kind of echoes that voicemail we heard earlier. That guy was concerned that maybe they're kind of blowing through this storyline too soon, too quickly. What do you guys, you guys feel that? I think certain things, if they, if they blew, I, I don't know. I, I guess the the short answer for me is jury's still out. I mean, we just got the 17th trade that shipped uh, last week, week before. And so if we're at, at the 8th trade or con- conceptually the 8th slash ninth trade at season 3, 
you know, forward it on to three more seasons and we'd, you know, be about where the comic is currently and they'd have three more. So, you know, given that TV shows typically have a shelf life of good, you know, long runs of shows these days are six, seven years, and that's very rare. Um, you know, I think by the time this show is over, it'll still be behind where the comic is. And I think, I still think that it's going to start to slow down now, not necessarily in pace, but I don't, and this is a complete prediction and I'm not giving away, you know, how long or not the governor stays in the comics, but I really think that the governor is going to become a longer term character. I don't expect him to be killed off at the end of this season. I expect him to continue on into season four um, and possibly beyond. So, and, and and then like I said, I have no knowledge, you know, direct knowledge of that. I've not read anything or, or talked to anybody or anything. It's just completely my theory. But if that's the case, then I can see where, you know, they may have taken in the short term. They may have ramped up a little bit to get to a point where they can build good tension, um, you know, build some good drama, some action, add another dimension to what these characters are going through other than just fighting the zombies. But now they have this human component that's going to factor into this as well, um, more so than they have up to this point. Because we've seen where, you know, like in Nebraska where, you know, characters have come in and they've had to deal with them um, and, and then, you know, further out. I, this, is, this is that ramped up to the 10th degree. You know, and the first half of season two, I'm sure all of us, we may not have said it out loud, but we're all thinking, ah, get on with it. Get to the prison already. You know, and now that it's here, we're like, hey, slow down a little bit. See, that's the point I was going to make compared to the first, uh, you know, the first season and this and the first half of the second season. I much prefer this pace. You know, stuff's happening. Stuff's going on. You know, characters are developing through the action and the plot rather than, you know, their conversation that's telling us about it. You know, I mean, things are things are progressing. And, uh, you know, Russ makes a really good point about it. You know, the average, you know, even really successful show only being on six, seven years tops. And, you know, th- there's a lot of storyline yet to tell. You know, even at this at this fast rate, so I have no problem with it whatsoever. I prefer the storytelling pace. You know, this kind of echoes the age-old question of, is it better to burn out or fade away? I mean, what do you want? Do you want something that goes slow and then eventually just kind of gets mediocre and repetitive and you're done with it? Or do you rather have something that goes through this material as fast as possible and is awesome the whole way and just ends sooner? And there's no right answer. It's just it depends on you, the, the listener, the viewer. I guess the answer is whether or not you are Def Leppard. <laughs> if, yeah, do you have one arm? Do you have two arms? Uh, so for our final scene of the episode, the governor calls a town meeting. They head over to the arena uh, that we saw a couple episodes ago. And he tells the, the, the people assembled. He's now, he's now you know, got his gauze eye patch. He's got a trench coat type deal going on. And he tells the people this was their worst night since the walls were completed. They were attacked by terrorists who want to destroy them. And he says, in a surprising twist, he turns around and says, we were betrayed by one of our own, and he singles out Merle. And at that point, they bring out Daryl, who had been captured off-screen. And then, he, uh, and the town's calling out to you know, kill him for vengeance. And the governor leaves Merle and Daryl in the center of the fighting ring, with Andrew looking on stunned. And the governor says to Merle, you wanted him, you got him. And now we have to wait three months <laughs> to find out if all the Vixens Vixens have to commit ritual suicide. Yeah. Have you uh, – w- this kind of accentuates a point that we haven't really talked about in this episode, and I don't, I don't think we've brought it up too much uh, recently, but the, the Bear McCreary score and music in this episode was just phenomenal. That 
that deep bass vibrate like repetitive sound that they kept playing they did it when when they had michonne sitting in that chair waiting for the governor to come in they did it at the end of this episode when the two of them were um when Derek when the dixons were standing next to each other and the governor was kind of giving a speech it just uh, it just was kind of like unsettling disturbing it it really set again given the pace of this episode and the way things were going i just it it really stood out to me uh in this one it reminded me of uh, john carpenter music actually the kind of yes. music he, he yes. put in his movies yeah that kind of tension filled repetitive bass lines and stuff that really works really well and thematically going back to the issue of you know black versus white or you know more shades of gray this is an excellent scene from the governor where he's giving the speech, not only for the content of the speech, and it's really effective, and his delivery is awesome. Um, in fact, I, I read he had the flu when he gave that, so props to him. But beyond that, look at this scene, look at this episode from the perspective of any person living in Woodbury. They're asleep in their beds when a bunch of crazed lunatics come in with smoke grenades, flashbangs, and automatic weapons, and start shooting people up in the town, and pluck out the eye or, you know, stab out the eye of their leader for no reason, no explanation, and it's just terror. They've been safe for a while, and now all of that seems to be crumbling down. Look at this from the pr- point of view of the governor. Is he a creep? Yes, but everything he's done can be, uh, I don't want to say waved away, but can it be somewhat explained by he wants to keep his town safe. The National Guard is a threat. Rick's group of 10 people that can clear out a prison that Merle said was impossible, they are a threat. And the things he does are terrible, but they are means to an end. And even though we look at him as a villain, the things he does can be explained as, I will do terrible things to keep the people I love safe, or the people who respect me safe. And at the same time, Rick is also doing terrible things. I mean, the the, the line about these being terrorists is not 100% off. It is a very understandable... Uh, explanation for what they did that was a you know they they rush into this town that they know very little about and just start shooting the place up yes to rescue their people but it's still a dangerous move uh, the way rick treats michonne this episode and last episode again i love these shades of gray we've got a governor who's all of a sudden turning full evil and why did he do that because of things Michonne did to him and things inadvertently Rick did to him. We have heroes who have turned the villain into what he's going to be, and I love that kind of stuff. This is just, for me, fantastic. And, you know, he, he I'm sure, is convinced that Merle is the reason that his daughter's dead just as much as Michonne. I mean, if he would have taken care of what he was supposed to take care of at the time, then it wouldn't be an issue. And it's funny because I was reading across the net, and I think even um, on the Facebook thing at first, people were having a little trouble buying that the governor would turn on Merle like that. And I was like, you know way. He's he's pissed at Merle right now because Merle flat out lied to his face and and was re- the one responsible for the death of his daughter. I mean, if, if he would have killed Michonne, she wouldn't have been there to, to, to do what she did. So, again... He's got to rally the support of the community. He's got to find a scapegoat, and Merle is the is the perfect scapegoat. But, again, that speech was awesome. And the way he kind of turned profile and the camera zoomed up on, on the side of his face like that, it was just, again, very well done scene. And, and it, was, it was a very good – I mean, when they did the, the cliffhanger at the end of – at the middle of season two with Rick coming out and, and shooting Sophia, I think that was – a very impactful, you know, break, you know, 
it was a quote cliffhanger, but it had it had some resolution. I mean that that episode things things kind of came to to a close for certain aspects of it. This is really cool because we're getting an actual like cliffhanger. Like, oh my god, what's going to happen next? There's so many different things going on at one time. You know, we're worried. You know, did the governor send somebody back to the prison that you know is potentially going to get there before Rick's group gets back? You know, what's going to happen with Daryl and Merle? How is Andrea going to going to play into that? You know, all that stuff going on. I mean, even the season one finale. I mean, it was. I wouldn't even call that a cliffhanger. It, it again, it kind of had a resolution. So it was interesting to have this this true cliffhanger moment um, as you know to what's going on. I thought it was going to end like Rocky Three, like they were just going to charge at each <laughs> other and then it would black out or freeze or end up a painting. That would have been sweet with the Eye of the Tiger music. Ding, ding. I liked the speech from the governor a lot. I just didn't like the very end. I I didn't get enough of attention moment like they were all just kind of like looking at each other and then it ended i would have liked some i don't know what i would have liked i didn't get the oomph out of the very ending that i was hoping for it's gonna bring you back in february though isn't it oh yeah i mean it's it was it's cool i'm i'm glad that they've uh they escalated it to the point they did i don't know what i was expecting maybe you know maybe at this point with tv before a hiatus, you just expect somebody to get killed or you expect, like, a huge reveal. We kind of knew that they were going to end up face-to-face for a while, um, and we didn't really get any reaction from either of them or any, like, dialogue or hint as to whether they're going to go at each other or what. And I guess I guess we're all assuming that they're going to be forced to fight. Is that what, you know, he said, um, you know, you wanted your brother, now here he is. So I'm assuming they're going to force them to fight, right? It's not like they're going to... Well, line them up and execute them, or yeah, I mean, it, I think they're going to throw a bunch of zombies in there. I think that's what we're supposed to think, but the show has shown me that it's probably not going to happen that way. Something will come along, and, and they're going to have a scrabble off. Yeah, something. You know what it is too. I, I guess, I guess, being that Daryl and Merle made it through the episode, you kind of know that they're going to be back the whole second half of the season. So it's not like the cliffhanger is gonna lead gonna lead to one of them killing each other in the premiere. I don't see that. So maybe that's what took away from the the ending for me. Maybe so. I, I have one of the things I'm concerned about is will this group survive and be able to deal with three alpha males again? You know, we'll have Rick, we'll have Tyrese, and uh, conceivably Daryl. And you know, the last time we kind of saw that. Uh, you know, Shane didn't make it. So I'm, I'm curious to see, you know, how that dynamic is going to work. And, and it makes me wonder if, if uh, you know, all three of them are going to make it out of the back half of the season. Uh, and and I, guess, I guess we'll see. And how, you know, again, how Merle adds into that mix. I'm not as convinced as you are, John, that, that, both of, that either one or both of them are going to come out of this, um, you, you know, this season or make it for the complete back half. I could, I could see one, probably not both, but I could definitely see maybe one of them, maybe not making it. Yeah, I definitely could be wrong. And that would make it better. Um, real quick. Did anybody else? I don't think it bothered anybody, but was anybody else like, did I miss how Daryl got captured? No, they did not show that. There was that one conversation when, um, they, after they had rescued Glenn and Maggie, 
and uh, they were like, all right, let's all get out of here. And Daryl said something like, I'm going to hang back and give you some cover fire. And somebody said, no, it's too dangerous. And he'd be like, nah, I'm going to be all right. And then they moved on to some other part of the story. And then the next time we saw Daryl was when they dragged him into that arena. Yeah, it was kind of, I mean, I guess it, the I mean, effect worked because I was like, wow, they got Daryl. Yeah, but I mean, then I was like, did I miss something? The, we all saw that coming, right? As soon as he says, no, I'm going to hang back and give you cover fire. I mean, right then I just knew, oh, he's he's going to be captured. Nobody I else, didn't. I didn't see that, that coming. I don't. I don't remember thinking. Once that, he no. wasn't with the group, once they assembled outside, and he wasn't there, then I kind of assumed. But I don't know if I got it as early as you did, Brad. Yeah, I thought I thought something was going to happen to him as soon as he got separated from the group. Yeah, I mean, stuff stuff doesn't happen to people, you know, when when they leave the main group. Don't go in that room. And you know something's going to happen to him when he goes in that room. Maybe we should split up. I'll be yeah. right behind you. Yeah. Oh, he's dead. You know, whatever. Zombie going to get him. You know, something, something like that. All right, guys. Uh, Buster ratings for this episode. I want to give it five Tyrese's. I mean, T-Dogs. Did I? <laughs> Freudian slip. Five. It gets five of. Possibly. Five of. Don't current, you mean Oscars? Five current African-American men starring on the show. I. Uh, I was just, like I said, I whooped, I, I, I was squeamish, I cursed, I smiled, I laughed. Did you rend your garments? No. I might have held my hands in front of my face at one or one point in the show. Uh, this was, to me, my favorite episode of this TV series uh, since it began. I just am so happy with it. Loved it. I will give it four and a half Shane Beards just short of five because, like I said, the ending just didn't have the oomph that I was looking for in a last show before a hiatus. But otherwise, really good. I did like the the change of pace again with the like uh, the, the assault on Woodbury with the guns and the smoke bombs and everything. Uh, we got Tyrese, which is great. We, one thing we didn't talk about, which was really good, this show were the zombie uh, effects. There were a lot of shots of, you know, either Tyrese hitting with the hammer or I think people in his group were using a shovel and there were a couple of real close-up shots of, like, zombie heads getting, you know, annihilated or, like, ripped in half. Um, that was better, this show, than the last couple. So uh, I enjoyed that as well. So I'm going to give it four and a half. I will also give it four and a half. Uh I, you know, the only thing really stopping it from a five for me were just those kind of little nitpicks that I had. But overall, very, very strong episode. I mean, probably top five to this point in the show itself. Um, you know, and I just, I, I, you know, I was happy with the ending. I, I'm really excited and curious for how they're going to move forward. And I'm just loving the pace this season. I mean, they definitely, you know, realized what needed to be tuned from season two. And they haven't disappointed at all in, in season three. So, um, I'm I'm really excited for for the for the back half. I give this one a five one-legged Santa Clauses out of five. Uh, I really enjoyed it a lot. A lot of great action. Finally introduced one of my favorite characters from the comic series, Tyrese. It's good to see him on the scene and and uh, and, and looking the way he should. I mean, he looked like the character from the book and he acted like him too. It's great to see that carpeting hammer at work. Uh, just it made my heart swell up uh, three more sizes. Um, I love, love the assault on Woodbury. I loved uh, the Michonne crouching in the dark like ghost dog, waiting for the governor to show up. 
Uh, there was that one scene where she kind of takes that samurai pose. Uh, I really love that. I love the fight. Um, I just, I really like this episode wall to wall, even even the ending. And uh, I'm ready for the next eight episodes, as as I'm sure we all are. But uh, five one legged Santa's out of five. It should be no surprise, uh, given my four or five minute rant back a few minutes, uh, that I really, really love this episode. So I don't really need to say anything more about it because I've already said too much. But I will give this episode five topical references out of five. I loved it. And I believe our good friend Aaron Newworth from the Out Now with Aaron and Abe podcast sent in his review. Uh, Russ, I believe you have that. So Aaron says, Hey dudes, the mid-season finale of The Walking Dead was pretty much everything I wanted it to be and had enough awesome moments to make me look past the little nitpicks I may have had in a lesser episode. First off, Tyrese is here. Cuddy from The Wire makes for an awesome Tyrese who so far is true to the character and I can't wait to see how he factors in once Rick gets back to the prison. I love that he had his hammer, but I was happier with how he played his scene with Carl once Carl locked his group in. Rather than overreact, he accepted the situation and placed himself on the side of non-annoying characters on this show, which I think yeah, we, uh, we commented on that as well. The other part of this episode, Rick and company's group sneaking into Woodbury, only to have a firefighter up, was also intense and exciting. Sure, we lost Oscar in order to maintain black guy equilibrium on the show, but we also got to see Wolverine Shane emerge and show that Rick is still going to have some issue to work on. I didn't even mention the Glenn and Maggie stuff that happened before this, but suffice it to say that I'm really happy that they were able to get out alive. Okay, so the best part of this episode was easily the brawl between Michonne and the governor. This was crazy. It was brutal and intense, and while I might, and while I might not love the Michonne character, I love how she took out Penny and showed a piece of, shoved a piece of glass into the governor's eye. That had to hurt as an understatement. The episode ended great as well. I love how it set up the next half of the season, and I'm really looking forward to seeing it where it goes. One thing, though, how sure are we that Merle and the governor are not in cahoots? Sure, Merle was caught in his lie about Michonne being dead, but perhaps he could work, be working an angle to get into the good graces with Daryl and get inside the prison under false pretenses. I guess we will see. Five busters. Uh, thanks, everyone who has been following along with my recaps. I'll be happy to continue in February. So... Again, if if you haven't uh, been following the website, if you go to hhwlod.com, uh, Aaron Newworth posts a much more uh, in-depth review of every episode uh, as they come out on the on the website. So definitely take a look at that. And we thank Aaron for uh, sending in his reviews, as always. John, I believe you gave some loot away this week, didn't you? Yes, we did a little Twitter contest, which we've done a few times before. Uh, right before the show aired... I got on Twitter, I warned everybody a contest was coming, and uh, the the question of the day was, uh, which character in the upcoming episode will say the word Rick last? Uh, and, and the reason I do it that way is because I did something who will do this first once, and it was over in four minutes, and that was a lot less fun. So if you do who's going to do something last, it tends to, you know, last. Anywho... Uh, so when Maggie was screaming for Rick over the dead body of Oscar, that was the last time anybody said the word Rick. So our listener and Twitter follower, Geeky Fangirl 76 had picked Maggie. She was the first person to choose Maggie. It's pretty cool. When I start a contest like this, everybody starts throwing names into the Twitter feed and, uh, I announced who was the first person to grab each character for the 
contest. So Geeky Fangirl 76 was the first to choose Maggie, so she wins. If she can uh, direct message me at Walking Dead TV Podcast, the uh, Twitter spot, and uh, confirm that you've heard this because that's part of the contest. You have to listen to the show to hear if you've won. I will send you the prize, which I don't think I've mentioned yet. It's a magazine pack. You get all four Entertainment Weekly Walking Dead magazines, uh, the four different covers. There's a Dixon Brothers cover, a Michonne cover, a Rick cover, and a Governor cover. And uh, those are pretty rare at this point. I I looked on eBay just to sort of uh, see where they were at. And the Dixon Brothers covers are like going for 25 bucks a magazine or so. So you definitely can't get them anymore. And I'm also throwing in an issue one of the official Walking Dead magazine. So you get five magazines in all. It's a nice little prize pack. And uh, we thank Geeky, Fangirl, and everyone for playing. And uh, stay tuned on Twitter for more stuff like that. And Jim, I believe we have an announcement to announce, don't we? <laughs> Those are the best kind. We have an announcement of an announcement we have uh, coming up uh, fairly soon. Uh, coming soon to a, a friendly neighborhood uh, Walking Dead TV podcast near you is will be the uh, the first occasional Busters. It's our own uh, Walking Dead award show. We're going to give out... Uh, we're going to have nominees up on our site, and you will be able to vote on who you think the best actor, actress, best zombie kill, best human kill. We have a lot of cool categories and nominees. Uh, we're, we're still collating and collecting them right now, but very soon you'll be able to go to our website and vote in our poll. And the uh, the first occasional busters, or as we like to call them, the FOB Awards. So uh, check that out. We will uh, keep you posted in future uh, podcasts. I think we'll have something a little more concrete, uh, like a starting date for the polls uh, next episode. But uh, get get ready. Think about who uh, who your best and your favorites are on the show, and uh, you can come and vote for them in our poll on our website. You know, make your vote count for The Walking Dead. So before we finish out this week's episode, we're going to have the end. Then we're going to have the section on the next episode of The Walking Dead. We do have a little synopsis for that. And I also have a, I don't want to say spoilery because it's not based on anything from the books, just from what we've seen in the show so far, but I've got an interesting theory that I think is a very big long shot, but I want to put it out there anyway. We're also going to do next episode an all-listener feedback episode. You might have noticed we didn't play any of this week, and that's because we're going to hold it all for there so you can all hear it. So you're going to want to call in with your voicemail, or you're going to want to email us in, and John's going to give you all that information in just a second. And uh, as our sponsor as well. Our sponsor will be sponsoring our spoiler section this week. So, John, how can the people contact us to get on our all-listener feedback episode on the next show? If you have comments about the entire half-season that we've just experienced of The Walking Dead, you can leave them a number of ways. You can call the voicemail, 516-468. Seven nine one two. You can email comments at walkingdeadtv.com. You can tweet us at WDTV Podcast. And of course, you can find our Facebook group. Head on over to Facebook, search Walking Dead TV Podcast. It'll tell you that you have to be allowed in, so you sort of request, and then we say, sure, join in. And uh, we have lots of fun there and lots of cool people that contribute there, so you can leave comments there as well. So before we get into our spoiler section and the end of the episode, Russ, who brings us this entire episode and our spoiler section this week? Well, the Spoiler Zone this week is brought to us by Discount Comic Book Service. That's DCBService.com. Since it is early December, the new orders aren't quite up yet for December. So if you still have your November order and like to get it in, um, you know, 
please go ahead and send it in. You can just shoot them an email um, at customer. I think it's customer.service at, at dcbservice.com um, to let them know that your order is going to be a little late. They're more than happy to take care of you. I typically don't put my order in until um, at least the fourth or fifth day of the month anyway. Um, but you could also visit their website at dcbservice.com. Please use the code WD8 if you're a new customer to DCB Service to save an additional 8% off your order, which already is discounted, uh, typically 30, 40, 50, even sometimes 75%. Uh, so check them out. That's dcbservice.com. Very cool. So until there's no more room left in hell in the dead walk the earth, remember, you're one-legged Santa Claus, by the way. Have a good week, everybody. I am, I am not. <laughs> Just because I'm the oldest guy on the podcast does not make me one-legged Santa Well, Claus. your lack of a leg does. Damn it, Jordan. <laughs> so, not next week, but next time on The Walking Dead, Episode 9 of Season 3 will be entitled, and this is, of course, a ways out. They could change this by then. They oftentimes change episode names in TV shows uh, before they air. But as of now, Episode 9 is entitled The Suicide King. And the brief plot synopsis we have is, After the invasion of Woodbury by Rick's group, Daryl and Merle are captured by the governor who will decide the fate of both brothers. Rick decides the fate of Tyrese's group. So that is next time on The Walking Dead. And uh, now for my out there theory. And again, this is like a thousand to one. I don't think it'll actually happen, but I think it could be cool if this does happen in the show. It'd be them using our knowledge of the comic book against us. So what's the theory? Last week on The Walking Dead, the governor says we're going to send a small group out to the prison to scout it out to see what's going on. This week, we didn't see any of that because we had you know Rick's group busting in, firefights in the streets, all that. Except, what if we did? Now, we saw Tyrese's group in this episode, and we saw a little bit of them separate from our group, where they didn't really talk too much about what they were doing, just that they were trying to get away from the zombies, and we saw them interact with our group. And we saw them play along with our group. But here's my out there theory. Could happen, could not, probably won't, but I think it'd be cool if it did. I think Tyrese and his group are plants from Woodbury. And I think eventually Tyrese would still come around to fight on Rick's side. But I think him and his group are all there playing along, playing innocent, playing like they're just trying to get out of the cold. All their comments about this is the best place we've been to in months were all said in the earshot of Carl and the group. I think we're going to eventually find out that this is the governor's scouting group, and that they are not there to be friends or to join the group. They're there to infiltrate and destroy. So we'll see if it comes to pass. Like I said, I doubt it, but it could be cool. I think it's entirely possible, but I would be very surprised if they did something like that. I think it would be kind of the point if they did something like that. would be a big surprise. Um, yeah, but it just it seems like with a character like Tyrese that has been uh, awaited and expected almost as much as the governor and Michonne, I, I would I would think that they would be careful with what they do with that character. I don't know. It's just a gut feeling. Yep, and, and like I said, just a theory. But that's it for this week. We can't wait to do our next episode of the Walking Dead TV podcast where we listen to your listener, uh, listener feedback and we get to discuss it and talk some more about this week's episode. So until then, have a good week, and uh, we'll see you next time. Whoa, what was that?
my phone vibrated. Oh, okay. It sounded like feedback. Excuse me while I put it in my pants. Hey, 